TAing. Uh, oh, anyways. Hey, Marcus. Yo. Oh, I was trying to, you were, I was trying to get you on the, you know, do like a, oh, I don't care. We're just going to start kind of intro. And then you stopped. I was trying well, to get so, a cool thing going. Yeah. So me and Saskia have been watching Studio Ghibli movies because like I was able to get her to watch only yesterday and she was like, oh, this is dope. So we've been watching like the non-magical ones slowly getting into the magical ones and then watching Italian movies from like 50s on because she was in she was TAing uh, <clears throat> Italian cinema class and oh it's cool yeah and I've been watching what else there's this comic book I like Invincible just came to became a cartoon but I, I actually haven't watched it I um, have I'm about to watch it for a second time because my wife wants to watch it and I think she'll like it because she liked the boys and Watchmen, so it's all, it's all, they're all first, second cousins of each other to some degree. Oh, yeah, they're, they're all, like they're one all... major story, like one major plot point, so it's like, I can't wait to watch it again for a second time. Yeah, I mean, when it was a comic book, I loved it. <clears throat> I, you know that we're comic booked out when one of my favorite comic books of all time is turned into a TV show, and I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. You're gonna you're, you're you're gonna dig it. Oh, I know because it's like the the conceit is: what if Superman had a son who was Spider Man but was also a bad guy? And I mean, if the Superman was a bad guy, not 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 the Spider Man son. No, the Spider Man character. I mean, I get. I mean, I guess I just spoiled. Oh man, what the hell? Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa! It does not. And on anything like you just said. Oh, well, up until the whole of Superman had a son and he was Spider-Man, like, that's pretty on point. But nothing, whoa, stop right there. Because obviously this is going to come back for a second season because every, I don't, I don't think, there's always, look, there's never going to be universal praise of anything, which, and that's how it should be. But I have yet myself to hear any bad thing about anyone who's seen Invincible, and I'm one of those people, so, I've. um, I've re- I've read a valid criticism about a character who was white in the comic book and is black in the cartoon, but oh. the the characterization is people were frustrated with. But it's like a it's it's actually a valid criticism because I know like mm. I know like shout out to John Arminio and all, and Alana and all the good comic fans, but there are people who are like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. If the character was white, why make the character black? And I have plenty of reasons why, and it's fine. Um, Mark's original girlfriend in the comic book is a white character who is very supportive. And mm-hmm. from what I understand is that the character has been... Is 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 a black character now, and is not, yes. and and has an attitude that's that fits into stereotypes. And the criticism. Oh, I see where we're going with it. That's not true. As someone but, who's seen it, I get I get why, but that's not let true. Let me let me finish the sentence for people who can't read my mind. Uh-huh. Um, that fits stereotypes of of black w- women characters, and. This what the the criticism was written by a black woman, so it wasn't like, um, it seems like a lot of outrage 
writing are by white people these days. But so I, I I'll be real quick. So I'm just gonna say, and this, and I'm not gonna spoil anything. However, she. It, <laughs> So that stereotype of the angry black woman or the mad black woman, to some degree, is valid in this character. Like, she happens to be black, and certain things that happen to her in Invincible, she, from her standpoint and the stuff that happens to her, she kind of has every right to be upset and angry because of what characters of other race do to her, which mm. kind of expands into the whole reason why that this whole stereotype of the mad black woman, when there is a mad black woman a lot of times it is valid and in invincible like it kind of shows clear as day certain reasons why she's upset so interesting I, so yeah so if you can send me that link because I, I i you know everyone every single person has a unique voice and every single person wants their specific needs met in every aspect of every single show and now it's like it, like we're we're at a point now where it's like I'm I'm a person of I'm a black person I'm not going to use any of those other weird terms but I'm a black you're, person You're black? And, yeah. I'm I'm not BIPOC. I don't know what that is. I'm black. But um it just oh, I always thought this podcast was just two white dudes talking about art movies. Oops. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just think uh, on one hand since this is another thing that we could go on forever about what which we won't but like back in the day the majority of film critics, and this is just kind of a fact, were white, and the majority of that, they were white guys. So it's mm -hmm. like they were the only opinions we got for years. And and it's good now that we have more different demographics, but now everyone, I've said this before, this isn't anything new, but for the last few years, every single person who writes or criticizes films now, it seems like, they have their own singular person personal agenda as if a show or a movie should be made just for them not even their group their small group just for them and when they're and if they're not seen it's like i'm an amputee black part asian part this bisexual part this i didn't see myself represented in this thing it's like you know what like uh, uh, tough and and i hate this because now i'm getting to the point where it's like kind of terrible alt-right racist people use these talking points I, I don't like when i have certain talking points or that, that kind of align with terrible people but like I'm, I'm almost at my wits end it's like oh i actually said i'm at my wits end but it's like god damn every single thing can't be met. like I, I i don't know it gets me as, as you can hear i'm very frustrated by shit like this it's like god damn i don't know i mean i do know but i don't know my god Anyway, watch Invincible because, and I want to read this article because now it's like what you just described is true, but it's valid and there's a reason. She's a good person in, in, in the story. And certain things happen to her. She keeps getting screwed over and keeps getting forgotten about. She keeps getting like left out of things, which happens to black women in society, which makes them upset. So perhaps... Instead of having her own little personal weird agenda, she could look at the big picture and see that that's actually true and it's okay to show that. I just feel like n nothing can win more than ever nowadays. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean... Anyway. Sorry, go ahead. Anyways, uh, well, I just think like what we're understanding, what it sounds like is this people are, are tone policing a animated character and i do 
I do find issue with this, the, with the whole idea of tone policing and respectability politics, that that you should have to act a certain way to be treated with respect when sure. really, like, I disagree. Um, I remember when I was a kid, there there's that uh, uh, Goody Mob song where they said, you have to respect yourself before I can. And I used to relate to that when I was younger. Cause I was like, yeah, how, how, how can I be respected if I don't respect myself? But then, like, I did, like, lots of self-help and... Um, therapy and growth and relationships and then realize that the people that need respect the most are the people that don't have self-respect people that need that little help and Mm -hmm. and to and to goalpost how people get respect or to give rules as to why we respect people is i think a little a little lopsided and and like yeah instead of like policing the the behavior of a person who a person who happens to be a black woman who's angry what if we validated why people might be angry and stop telling yeah. people how they're supposed to act yeah 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 marcus do you like movies yes i do uh hi doug have you ever smoked pcp not yet maybe this weekend oh i'm going, out, I'm going out to long island with the family, we're having a little small get-together. I'm going to see my in-laws, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, um, cousins-in-law. Oh, I'm going to see Cousin Terry, who we oh. need to get on the show at some point. I'm, we I'm, need I'm, to I'm get gonna bring Cousin it up. Terry bring on the show. Up. Yeah, I'll bring that up to him. So, yeah. So, Talk about tactical films. Yeah. He's, he's the guy to talk about that stuff. So, But, uh, yes, I like movies. And, uh, no, I haven't done that yet. Speaking, speaking of movies and PCP... Uh, you sent me a DVD the other day to so I could rewatch Low Life, and yes. that that has now like people have offered to send me DVDs, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, they have. Yeah, so I'm getting sent DVDs. That's cool. It's and, like uh, it's like old school stuff. Remember tape trading? Uh, yeah, I was big into um, musical tape trading because like yeah my my. My deadhead friends taught me about tape trading, and then it turned out that it was a great way to get cool music. Yeah, that was, uh, for me, I think it was like the early DJ Scratch videos, like mm-hmm. the Executioners slash X-Men uh, and the Invisible Scratch Pickles. Mainly those two, they were like, they were the early, you know, like putting out tapes of themselves. And then that was like around my junior, sophomore, junior year of high school, I got into that. And then by my senior year, like the skater kids who were kind of like they, they, they were always off doing their own thing. I had a class with one and he was talking about like tape trading, like of skate videos. And then I was like, oh, this is like what I do with my DJ friends, like across the country. We like mail each other stuff. And then I remembered back to that scene in kids. We've actually talked about this on the show before when they go to that guy's apartment and they're watching like the skate videos with the John Coltrane jazz music on it. And then it was just like, oh, this is like kind of similar, just like videos of hours long of just people in their bedroom scratching doing like you know groundbreaking world changing scratch techniques and then these kids are just watching people skate around cities and doing all this cool stuff and that's how a lot of those guys like like a Steve Williams or uh, Mark Gonzalez and folks like that kind of got like cult followings outside of just the immediate skate realm absolutely so, yeah. I was actually 
I was talking to some friends and Saskia about like skate culture and about how you know Spike Jones like uh, revolutionized skate videos and yeah, how, some, how some of his best work are his are his skate things and that from a cinematography yeah. standpoint alone it's like holy shit yeah just just raw cinematography but yeah if you just watch mouse or um you know radio whatever any of his any of that stuff you see how it affected his movies and his work for real and is some of his finest work and that um uh that the the jackass and the CKY people just the, all of that was being like oh what if we the people there are people that that don't even skate that like skate videos for the in between scenes what if we just did the in between scenes and just took that right, to a new yeah. level yeah yeah cuz that like and that that became its own culture and something that were that, that you were kind of talking about earlier that is um, that I was talking about with a friend the other day is nowadays you can you don't need gatekeeping to find out about culture with yeah, with, yeah. with the with the advent of podcasts and um, internet and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Reddit and Tumblr you don't there aren't it you like culture is is now allowed to sort of figure out its own thing so yeah the reason so criticism for so long was mostly white men because they were also controlling how culture was seen and how culture was was taken in and now that culture is is sort of slowly being democratized um I'm sure the FCC will figure out a way to control podcasts, but I hopefully they oh, won't. Oh man, yeah. Well, because it's scary. Because now, because now you can't force taste. We've got. I mean, yeah, you got million, multi-million dollar deals for podcasts now. You got like decade-long friendships, uh, most recently breaking up because of podcasts. So that is a good point. Uh, what do you mean? The whole Joe Budden stuff. It's crazy. What's going on with Joe Budden? He fired Rory and Maul, like, live on air from the podcast. Um, then he went on a rant about it, and it all had to do with, like, money. Because they, they were actually getting a pretty good deal. They had this crazy Spotify deal. Then Joe thought he could get a better deal with, like, PayPal and Patreon, and then they did. And then Rory and Maul were like, hey, we are part of the show. We don't want to be equal partners, but can we get a little bit more money now that the deal is getting better? And Joe was like, no. And then it's like, well, I mean, we're friends. We helped you out on that. You asked us to be on this show. And then he's like, yeah, well, tough, because Joe Budden is an asshole. And it's also like, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, if, if you just look at his Joe Budden's entire career, from Def Jam to Slaughterhouse to Complex to various relationships to this, it's like every single thing he does does kind of fall apart. And he is kind of the common denominator in all of this. So it's like... But it just does kind of suck now because the Joe Budden podcast is going to go down because a lot of people like the dynamic of the three of them. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you, okay, Scott, you're a Howard Stern guy. It's like, I'm not, but I do know his appeal. And it's one of those things where like, yeah, we love Howard Stern, but 
a small, a, a not even a small, but a fraction of the reason why we listen to it is the whole dynamic of that, like the whole crew, Robin, uh, Jackie Martin, like Artie Lang later on, like it is kind of a group thing. People don't just listen to Howard, even though he's the main guy and his name is on the marquee, it still is a team of people. And a lot, and this is a lot of people are drawing a parallel to this whole Joe Button fiasco to the Howard Stern thing because podcast is kind of the new radio anyway, and has been for quite some time. So, but yeah, yeah. and and because because it used to be that corporations and they still do to a, to a certain extent control who got airtime, and nowadays people get to choose what they listen to. The fact that yep. Joe Budden has a multi-million dollar podcast that is super popular and I've never heard about it shows you oh, how, really? yeah, how, oh, wow. in, how interesting culture is these days. You know, yeah. sometimes there will be someone appearing on Hot Ones, the Hot Wing show I like, mm -hmm. that now also has become gigantic. And copied now. MTV has a show version of it. That has nothing to do with, with, with the main guy. And he was actually, this was a couple years ago, he took to Twitter to kind of rant about it. He's like, yo, you guys are biting my thing. Which is inevitable, but he was still not happy about it. I remember when that show had, like, gunplay on. And now it's, like, one of the biggest sh biggest internet phenomenons. Yeah. And sometimes they'll have someone on the show, and the show will get, like, 20 million views. And I have no idea who this person is. Sure. I went through the same thing last night. We happened to be... Because I watch Floribama Shore on MTV. My wife got me into that. And now I guess the MTV Movie and TV Awards are coming up. And they were advertising for it. And it's like featuring so-and-so. And every... I was like, who? Who? Yeah. Who? But then my wife, because my wife works in the entertainment, but specifically television, she knew who all these people were. But she also understood where I was coming from. She's like, they're TikTok stars. It's like, it just is what it is. Right. And the fact is that there, we now live in a world where there are famous people that my mom have never heard of, that yeah. I've never heard of, and people don't like that. And if you if you wear a tinfoil hat, you see you might think like that the powers that be are trying to um, figure out a way to silence Joe Rogan or something because because people don't like that he has that he has the the audience that he has or that other people have the audiences that they have uh, and whether you disagree or agree with that I think the fact that people can just sort of choose what they listen to and watch and hear is a net positive even if even if the noise is quite loud and sometimes intolerable yeah yeah you know I have to just it just came to me too I need to go back to your little thing about gatekeeping too, I think about how beautiful it is also, like, just you and me alone, the stuff that we've discovered because of our age through the Kazaa, and, and I'm not even talking about the tape drink, I'm talking about in the early mid-aughts, like stuff that used to be considered rare that we discovered, or think about, like, former past guests of this show, like, if gatekeeping still existed, like a young John Wilson or even a young Shaka King, some of the movies and, and things that influenced them that weren't easily accessible, who knows, like, where they would be today. You know what I'm saying? Like, the weird, kind of off-brand stuff, underground stuff that they like, wasn't always easy to get. So there is that, the, the blessing to that also, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, things that used to be very difficult to find are now easier to find. And that's either, you know, there is, there is like something beautiful about the struggle and there's something beautiful about not having the struggle that's and talking true about god damn that, that that yeah talking that's about equally true yeah talking about tape trading i've probably said this before but uh you know and and also to kind of relate to the joe budden thing there is a time in my life before i had done as much work that i have on myself mm-hmm. where i would just assume that if I stopped being friends with six people in two years, I'd be like, well, all six of them were wrong. Mm. And then in therapy, I realized that that's just impossible. Maybe, maybe sometimes they were wrong, but, but yeah, if you look at the equation and you're the person in the equation every time, you're the common denominator, then it's up to you to take inventory of that. Right. Yeah. And, and then and then it's up to you in the future to see, then have the ability to be like, all right, well, how do I course correct? Let me make sure that, one, I take, I take accountability that a lot of this is my fault, but also now I have the ability to see when it's not. Um, but when I was, when I was less, when I was more forthright and less charming about it, when I was about like 19, 18 years old, next to the tower records in the, in the village, which no longer exists on Broadway, mm. um, there was a lot that would have like, what do you call that on Saturdays? Um, when a bunch what? of vendors are open. Oh, like a market or something? Yeah, but what do you call a weekend market? There's like a, a name. Oh, flea market? Yeah, flea market. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a flea market um, next to Tower Records. Do you remember oh. that? I don't. Or, I honestly don't. No, I mean, at this the time, I mean, we're only like a year difference. I was in Virginia at, at this time, so I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have known. Okay, so, yeah, back when Tower Records was open, right next to Tower Records was a lot. And the lot had a flea market on Saturdays and Sundays. And there was... You know, you could get all types of cool stuff, you know, like T-shirts and yeah, there's all different kinds of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But there, one of the coolest things was there was a person who sold cassettes of um, live concerts. And there was also a person who sold cassettes of like mixtapes. Uh, like if you ever heard of the, the legendary DJ Clue tapes or DJ Envy tapes. Oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Or the jungle, or jungle tapes, or um, you know, if you wanted to find the original tapes by the X Men, the Executioners, or the Scratch Pickles, or stuff like that, you had to, you had to be a little sneaky to find it, because sure, oh yeah, even even though Fat Beats had some mixtapes, you, they didn't have a lot, and in oh, fact, really? it, well, they would sell out. Oh, okay, I was okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. There was. Or, or or they would or the prices were expensive. I remember yeah. when you were trying to when the when the first Kanye West bootleg came out, um, the mix his first mixtape. Mm-hmm. It was like twenty five bucks at at Fat Beats for some reason, and Damn. so I just went to Chinatown, and got yeah, it for two uh, three for ten. So. Um, 
there was even a time, and I regret not getting more, that Fat Beats was selling Stretch and Bob episodes on cassette. Oh, wow. That were recorded from... Yeah, that were recorded from the master boards of KCRW or whatever. Um, Because everybody, anybody that's anybody that knows about underground rap knows about the legendary career-making freestyles on Stretch and Bob. Sure. Which is always funny. It always gets associated with, like, Company Flow and the Juggernauts no, and Jay-Z Doom. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's what, yeah, exactly. Like, every, it really was at, at around that time. Everyone who was somebody at some point, I guess predominantly on the East Coast, specifically, like, Tri-State. Right. But still. But at the same time, you had guys like, you know... Cali guys came over, you know, at one point to kind of, you know, show off. Souls of Mischief, Dell, all those guys. So, you know, folks made their way to, to Stretch and Bob, even from out of town, but still. But, yeah, so anyways, there was this there was this guy that sold live cassettes, live, jet, like, concerts there. Mm-hmm. And this was, I and one time I was there and Q-Tip was going through the Miles Davis cassettes looking for a specific concert. Mm-hmm. And I said, excuse me, are you Q-Tip? And he was like, yeah, man. And I was like, well... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, I just want to say, like, you know, I'm a huge fan. Um, your music really helped me through some difficult times. I saw what was supposed to be the last Tribe show, blah, blah, blah. I really like Tribe Called Quest. And he was like, oh, well, you know, what do you think about my new solo album? And I said, I really like A Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> when you said that, hey, can you keep talking? Yeah, so my I, felt, goddamn doorbell. I felt really bad about that for a while because, like, one, I've been, I ended up liking that solo album and I enjoy some of the solo work that he's done. But... I just, at the time, I really liked Tribe Called Quest, and I wasn't ready for the solo work, and, you know, liking a group doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to like the solo stuff, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But he gave me this look. (laughs) Sure. And he just kept it moving. He just, like, was like, yeah, I'm busy. And if if I was, you know, nowadays... You know, being a dick to to strangers just really isn't something that I like to do. Yeah. Um. Then I feel bad, but it it it's fine. I know. He's heard worse. I'm sure he's read worse reviews about great music that he's done. So it's fine. Well, as yeah, and also like his first solo album isn't that bad. I just liked. It's not. I just except liked... that song with Corn. Um, I, that's unforgivable. Not that I dislike Corn, but them two, it just, that, that song didn't work. Just like right. I liked Tribe Call Quest so much, and I had subscribed to, to the narrative that, you know, love movement was bad, which I don't think is true. Same, same, same. And that, you know, Q-Tip ruined everything, which I don't think is true. And I just wasn't ready. But I revisited Amplified 
I don't know, a few years ago, and it's really, it's really good. It's fine. Yeah. I also just feel like a big thing with that Amplified album was the first two lead singles off of it were so dope. Vibrant mm-hmm. Thing and Let's Ride. And in all fairness, now, <clears throat> the rest of the album didn't necessarily match those two songs. So, <clears throat> I think that was part of the reason. But, you know, yeah. So. But, yeah, so that's 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 what's been going on. Have you watched anything interesting lately? I have. I've watched quite a few things. Uh, so, I mean, you talked about Invincible. Uh, keeping it with TV real quick also. Uh, I've been weekly. I've been watching uh, Dark Side of the Ring season three, and it's it's really great so far. You know, the first two episodes, it's a two-parter about Brian Pillman, who kind of helped usher in the uh, Attitude Era, and then unfortunately he passed away way too early and way too young. He was kind of a, you know, troubled soul, a reckless guy, but just a, an amazingly talented athlete. Um but, you know, episode three, the most recent episode, which just came out a couple of days ago, uh, is in line with You Can't Kill David Arquette because it, it's about uh, this legendary deathmatch wrestler, Nick Gage, uh, who wrestles David Arquette. And part of the episode talks about their match and how midway into the match, a couple of times it got real because they went over the spots in the match and David Arquette was like, don't do this. Nick Gage was like, don't do this. And they both did what they said they weren't going to do. And the camera angles clearly show them at certain points in the match, just like, what the fuck are you doing? Or like, hey, I told you not to do that. And they really start kind of throwing, you know, throwing fisticuffs at a certain point. So it makes for a nice little supplement slash sequel to You Can't Kill David Arquette, uh, ep- ep- episode three of Dark Side of the Ring. They they, yeah, they, just, they they do great work. I don't like death matches. I, I, you know, I don't either. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this episode... I yes, looked away a couple of. I looked away a couple of times. <clears throat> it's really like, oh Jesus! And there's a sadness. There, th- no one wants to talk about this. There's a sadness to like deathmatch people. I'm not. I'm, I'm excluding guys like Mick Foley and Terry Funk because they were legends. But they also represent these kind of people who like. Well, I didn't necessarily. I'm using air quotes. Make it in the big leagues, so I have to have some kind of appeal. So they essentially sacrifice their bodies and almost die just to try to get cheers from the audience. And there's right. something sad about that, how it's like they tried to chase a dream. They they all wanted to be standard wrestlers. It didn't work out. So it's like, well, certain people have a high threshold for pain, so let me put a staple gun in my head to try to get, like, attention. And I think there's a sadness to that, just to get, like, a hundred bucks, at, you know, at the end of a match. It's like, uh, you know, it, it, it is kind of sad. Yeah, so this isn't funny, but it's also kind of funny. Um, okay. So if I say the words to my mom, um, sad, drunk clown. Yeah. She starts crying. Why? Oh, it's not, I'm not laughing at that. It's not funny. Because there's something to her that's like so viscerally sad. About a sad drunk clown, and she's su- and she's such a sympathetic person mm. that, like, literally, I say that sentence, and she gets sad. Oh man, and, it's like uh, Baron Zemo with the Winter Soldier. Like you say these like certain words, or the Manchurian Candidate. Sure, yeah, it's like the it's the sad Manchurian Candidate with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> like and it's not it's just it's 
it shows like how compassionate she is, but it's also like, so there is something about like the 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 sad drunken clown. They they that they probably just wanted to be a regular entertainer. Mick sure. Foley wanted to be Hulk Hogan, but yep, he he was you know no one ever gets to, no one really gets to do that. And yeah. there's definitely like a line about of like in the sand of like hardcore and death matches. Like there is like at some point where it stops being art and just becomes like this sort of like violent thing that's yeah. really difficult to watch. I remember you were sending me those videos that we used to watch of like the that young juggalo kid who would just do backflips onto stuff and hurt himself. Yeah, yeah, I did. And there was a mo like at first we were like this this is really interesting and then there were also those those young black kids that you sent me videos of where they would start wrestling fights in yeah, malls? Yeah, What was their name? Oh, I, I forgot. It's like a group of them who are kind of... They actually started training for real. But that's what I'm I, saying. I, I, yeah, I forgot their names. But, like, that's that was awesome because they were doing this... They were teaching themselves, as you said, phonetically how to do wrestling. And yeah. they, were, they were doing it and getting videos and, like... Now I hope that they'll become wrestling talent. But then there's sure. this young, there's this young kid who I feel like was being coerced by his older brother or something, yeah, to, like, to do backflips onto air conditioners and shit. And you're like, this is not entertaining. It just hurts. And and I don't like. I don't think this kid has talent. I don't think this kid's gonna become a wrestler. Yeah. Where these other these other kids, uh, could actually have talent. And they, there. I remember there was a moment where they were sort of arguing with each other on the internet that those these two people. But you know, you can't really. Oh shit! They the were. Two. They were. They were. They were. They were. Yeah. You can't. You can't really compare the two because I think like these young kids that were like performing skits had like real talent, and the other stuff smacked a little of exploitation but the sad thing about the wrestling game is that it is an exploitation game it is very much so uh, even even like you know um mma which is like r real fighting quote-unquote because you know wrestling is real in a way you know but like mma sometimes you you'll you're looking at the way some of these fighters are treated and their backgrounds. You're like, damn, how much agency, how much control do they really have? Like the Diaz brothers specifically are the ones that come to mind. Or the Shamrock brothers too. They, they were a little earlier, but yeah. What do you mean? Like, like they had these, they had rough lives coming up already. Like they were already, and I'm not saying this in a, a, a negative judgy way, but like they're like damaged people already before they found this thing. They were already kind of exploited earlier on in life in various ways. And then they enter this thing and a guy like Dana White just kind of continues that on to some degree. If what yeah. I'm saying is making any sense. Yes, but the the Shamrocks and the Diaz brothers actually have figured out how to counter that narrative. Like, Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Nick, Nick Diaz hasn't fought in years because he hasn't found a good deal. Because he won't be exploited. Oh, well, good for him. All right, never mind. Um, but, the, like, there's just, like... I was watching the Rose Namajunas fight with with Zhang Li 
last week, two weeks ago. And Rose Namajunas got a lot of flack for before the fight. She was like, better dead than red. And I'm doing this for America. And then like you look at this person. She's in her she's in her early 20s. She's been in she's been in gyms fighting since she was a kid. And you look at her and I'm like, oh, this is this person still has a lot of growing up to do. And a lot of these fighters um, have a lot of growing up to do. And and it's not like UFC isn't the only promotion, but in America, right. it's the only popular. It's the only promotion that really matters. And that's the parallel to wrestling, where they got AEW now, and they got <clears throat> international and indie stuff. But at the end of the day, WWF slash WWE is like the biggest game in town, and everyone always dreams of going there. You know. So you know, like Bellator just doesn't really compare. Right. Sure. Now, one one championship is very popular internationally. It might be around the same level internationally, but in America, there's really just one ticket, and mm-hmm. and so it, so it's just yeah, it's just really interesting seeing these people who give away their bodies for entertainment yeah. and yeah. are not not treated. The way that we'd like them to be. Yeah. Agreed, man. And yeah, I mean, and as far as movies go, like I haven't, I haven't watched too much. I haven't watched too much stuff besides, yeah, I've been watching Studio Ghibli movies are on HBO, and that's been awesome. That's cool. Yeah, with with I mean, for me. Uh, I caught up on a couple of things that everyone was talking about, like uh, Nobody, which it, it was fun. It was Yo, fun. that movie had no business <clears throat> existing. Like what? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was cool. I it didn't. Cool, I didn't even but... know. I didn't even know Rizzo would be in it. Uh, there were just certain little surprises, but you know, I get the whole appeal. It's like Breaking Bad meets John Wick to some degree, or like this normal dude. Does you know? I I understand the I understand the appeal. It's not the movie wasn't it's, great, but it was good. no. But it's it's Bob Odenkirk in the right. Equalizer. Yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's literally the Equalizer, but Bob Odenkirk. Yep, it's the Equalizer meets a History of Violence, but starring Bob Odenkirk. Damn, yeah, that's even better. That's even better. Yeah, it's definitely more History of Violence. Yeah, good point. Uh, and I, isn't that the same? I don't know. Um. And also that the RZA plays Bob Odenkirk's brother is right. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And we've been we've been talking about uh, RZA lately. Have we? Yeah, oh, we right, because our last ep- our whole musicians. last episode. Yeah, you're right. Duh. Yeah. So. Man. I, uh, did, did you have a chance to check out since it? Because this is a movie that's t- somewhat in the same lane. Uh, Without Remorse, the new, you know, Michael B. Jordan, Hard to Kill remake, but it's not a remake, but it kind of is. Michael B. Jordan, Pierce, uh, not not Pierce, Guy Pierce, uh, where Michael B. Jordan is this, like, special ops guy, and then he discovers something he's not supposed to, his family's murdered, and then he tries to get revenge. It's him, Jamie Bell. What's Uh, what's it the remake of? It's it's literally, it's Hard to Kill, the Steven Seagal movie. Like, right down to, like, there's, like, his family gets killed in the bedroom, just like in the opening scenes of, uh, of Hard to Kill. 
It, it, yeah, but, but yeah, it, it, it's an Amazon Prime original movie. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, it's definitely yeah. on my list. It's one of those movies that I'm going to, you know, get some za and watch. Nice. It, I, I got to say, I don't want to be super negative, but it did kind of expose something, too. There's there's moments, unlike other current actors, like sometimes Michael B. Jordan's acting seems a little forced in a really annoying way. I'm sorry. When he's being natural, it's cool, but when he has to, like, get upset or get angry or get tough and intimidating, it's almost like I try not to laugh, kind of, and I think that's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. Just saying. But um, the action is good. I have to say, the, the fight choreography, the gun choreography, all that stuff really is cool. Like, there's certain, there's just brutal violence in it that's almost artistic, and it makes you go, like, oh, that was awesome. But from an acting standpoint, he's exposed a little bit in this movie. I, I, I think. I'm only speaking for myself. I mean, I, I also, like, I just, I'm watching less movies. So maybe sure. my, my, I'm extra critical. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll, I mean, I'll tell you, I really, them Studio Ghibli movies are really lovely. I need to get back into those. I used to, between college and like a year or two after I graduated college, I used to watch those a lot, and then I just stopped. So we're talking like 15, 16 years ago. But I, sh I, I think maybe get to revisit a lot of those. Although I did watch Porco Rosso uh, a couple months ago. Um, it's a, it's one of my to, favorites. I went to check out one scene, and then I was like, no, let me just rewind this whole thing back and just watch it from start to finish. Yeah, when me and him two may live together, we were watching that movie and we're both crying. Nice. Like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I have to deal with some weekend stuff, Marcus. Okay. So so do I. So I think um we have some exciting stuff coming up. We do. But. Uh, you guys be nice to each other and don't be don't be a jerk to people that don't deserve it or even that do deserve it don't be a jerk word